0: Welcome to the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now your host of the show, Dr. Jennifer K. Thompson. Hi there, and thanks for joining us. Today I'm going to share with you a conversation that I recently had with Arjun Murthy, who is the CEO and co-founder of The Factual. We will link to The Factual's website in the show notes, but just so you know, The Factual is a for-profit company that produces a daily newsletter. Uh, and their website has information from the daily newsletter as well. But their goal is to restore faith in the news. And you will hear in our conversation that Arjun feels strongly about news media and about ensuring that people have credible information that they can use their own judgment about uh, and that he believes his company can fill a gap in the way we understand the news, the way we receive news in an age of overwhelming amounts of information that we can get all day long on all sorts of different devices. Arjun now runs the Factual, but prior to that, he was the vice president of business development at HubSpot. He holds degrees in computer engineering. He has an MBA from Stanford University. He was the editor-in-chief of the Stanford Reporter. And I think as you listen to the conversation, you will hear that Arjun feels very strongly about the importance of credible news that can improve communities and help bring us together, despite what we may think about the news today, dividing us uh, or causing polarization. Uh, Arjun's company, The Factual, has been covered by fast company by gq by market watch and they are a startup company and you're gonna hear a little bit about the journey to where they are today in our conversation i hope you enjoy all right well so arjun first of all thank you for joining us today You appreciate it because it seems like you're probably pretty busy. How old is your business right now?
1: It is officially five years old. Yeah. 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 uh, It's gone through a few iterations, though. We started out as a company called Civic Owl. Then we rebranded to Owl Factor and then finally to the Factual, which tells you that I'm really crappy at branding. I mean, just (laughs) nerdiest names you could think of. Um, I even wrote a post on it, like how not to name your your startup. but we always knew we wanted to do something in news. Our, I've, yeah. I've been infatuated in news since I was a kid. I was a paper boy. That was my first job.
0: But yeah, I then, saw that. Yeah. So, were you a paper boy because you like the news, or was it just a no, job? Or? No,
1: it was a job. I needed money. It was yeah. one of the few things you could do as a 12 or 13 year old. And so I got it. And then I really just loved it. It was fun delivering the paper, rain or shine. I was really proud. I never missed a day. Um, i grew my customer base really well i had really good customers on my street and uh yeah it was fun like i you know to be honest i don't think i read the paper that much i think it was just the act of delivering the news every day and helping people be informed like i don't know it felt kind of cool to do it so that is
0: cool well and also seeing how many people it affects i imagine too because as you're going to people's houses and dropping off the paper you see everybody's getting the paper and it's something that you know impacts everybody but also you see the connection in a community, right? I mean, it's not like we have today where, I mean- That's right, it's all, all over.
1: Probably,
0: it's probably still paper boys, right?
1: I have no idea. I think, well, we- Paper persons. Paper persons, right. We do get the newspaper delivered. We have a Saturday subscription. Uh, there's like a special from the Wall Street Journal, which is like absurdly mm-hmm. cheap, so we got it. And um, and uh, I've never actually seen a paper person because they deliver very early in the morning. It's a very different lifestyle. Like what I had was an evening paper route. So we used to live around 30 p.m. So it was a very community thing. Like I really did actually know all my customers by name and face, and I would meet them to collect uh, or give them subscription because back then you used to pay in person. There wasn't online payments. Uh, oh yeah,
0: So you had to collect the money. Yeah, right? I had
1: to collect the money and send it into the, the newspaper publisher. And yeah, it was a real like little business. So it was really fun. And I personally have always liked reading and writing as well. Like I like reading Mm -hmm. books. My wife always jokes that I'd be happier with a book than with her, which is terrible, but maybe there's a slight bit of truth to (laughs) it, maybe. I don't know. I really do like reading a lot. Um, And then I like writing as well. I'm not a great writer. Uh, I really admire amazing writers, especially journalists uh, who can pack in just great information in a very informative way, um, well-resourced not super opinionated uh that kind of writing style i really like and so yeah that's kind of i've always been a news geek
0: but that is not the career you pursued right it wasn't like you said well i'm really interested in this i will go to school in journalism and i will try and be a reporter you you did a number of other things before you came to where you are today dealing with
1: the news that's right well jennifer as you can tell i'm indian origin so let me make it clear there are only two jobs you can have as an indian (laughs) One is a doctor and the other is an engineer. <laughs> Maybe if your family's pretty liberal, you get to be a lawyer, but that's right. pretty frowned upon these days. Right. So that's it. We don't have a lot of choices. Um, but jokes aside, actually, I I do like, uh, I'm also a huge math geek and uh, engineering and building stuff was just, yeah, it was always something I liked doing. So I don't think I ever considered ever being a journalist. I didn't even think you could be one without, I don't know. I wasn't that great a writer. So and it's a hard job to be honest, being a journalist. Yeah. You know? So it, I don't think I ever wanted it for a job. Um, I always wanted to build stuff. So engineering just made more sense. And then eventually, you know, 20 years on in my career, I was able to combine the two passions, which is I like building stuff. And then this industry uh, journalism was really going through a rough time in 2015 and really leading up to that, right? For like a decade earlier. And I thought, boy, I really love this industry. I think it's important for this industry to do well uh if society is to function well and uh i'm very naive and i'm like well i'm an engineer and you know why can't we build some technology to fix this stuff should be can't be that hard and so <laughs> um i plunged into it i found a co-founder this guy named Ajoy, who's our cto and he's amazing he's such such a talented engineer and such a good human being and honestly the best part of the startup is working with him the best yeah. part is working with him i learn from him every day um I ask him every question that comes up and he never like poo-poo's it. You know, like sometimes technical people would be like, oh my God, you're such an idiot. And he's never like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he will get into the details and we'll go through it. So I feel really good about becoming more technically adept as well. Um, So anyway, so yeah, so we both got together and plunged into it.
0: So when you say the news uh, news industry was going through a tough time in 2015, we had um, Marshall Kozloff on probably last year to talk about... The business model for news media. Um, We talked about the fact that, and and I was fascinated by what he told us, one of the things he talked about was that newspapers in particular have never been uh, profitable because of subscription. They've always been profitable because of advertising. Mm -hmm. And that when when online news and online activity uh, sort of started to pick up, The cost of advertising online was so low relative to what you'd have in print media that this really put like pinched many um you know conventional print media their business model and so at one point i think he was talking about the new york times like they almost went out of business and that the transition to profitable business models for news media has been paywall subscription online right and I know you think about this in terms of, you mentioned getting the Wall Street Journal, you know, in print uh, once a week because it was an absurdly low price, but to get the Wall Street Journal for a year is something crazy. like-
1: 400 yeah, four to 600 yeah.
0: bucks. So if people want conventional, or like what we think of historically as, you know, the newspaper in your driveway or even an online subscription to something that is paywalled, it can be really expensive. But the other thing I remember I'm talking about was because- In this model where you're trying to meet, make your subscribers happy, that can actually affect the way you present information, right? It can, you're, you're playing to your audience as opposed to getting money from advertisers and things like that. But I think, you know, the other thing is um, we get, you know, bombarded with information now because everybody's walking around with a computer in their Mm -hmm. pocket, you know. And so we can be alerted every five minutes from whatever news source we want. And and so, you know, that's overwhelming. But the other thing is in order to get people to click on those alerts, there's a sense in which you feel like maybe there's sensationalism, there's clickbaiting, but there's also this idea that, like on social media and things like that, I'm only getting fed what I like. I'm never seeing something that I would disagree with or if I do. Mm you know, I'm going to go yell at the person, how much of that played into your decision. And when you're thinking about, right, like news was in trouble in 2015, is that what you mean by it? Or is it something? else? Yeah,
1: I mean, at, at the highest level, the, the problem was people didn't trust the news as much as they used to. Uh, if you dig deeper, and you go into why you get into all the stuff that you just said, which is that the business model of news skews towards sensationalism, it skews towards playing to a specific audience, because as you got to publish more easily online, more and more news outlets proliferated, no fighting for the same eyeballs. So in order to do that, they realized, boy, we've got to pick our battle. We've got to pick our niche, our lane. And if we play to that lane, then we can win that lane. And then we can sell ads and do well there or or whatever. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so everyone became hyper-focused on some segment of the population and really played to that base. So they said, oh, I know our base really likes to hear that Trump's an idiot or Trump's a genius or what have you. And we'll just keep pounding that over and over. And the net effect of it was even the people that they were playing to were like, okay, I know what you're saying. Like it, it feels good, but it kind of feels like empty calories. It feels like after I've eaten a lot of ice cream, it's all good going to home, but not, not so much anymore. Um, and so the net effect was people just thought, oh, these guys, you're just trying to make me click. You're trying to make me, Browse you more. You're not really trying to get me better informed. And the net effect is we all thought the news is really not trustworthy. Sorry. So, yeah, back in 2015, Joy and I saw this and we said that's what we want to fix. And we had grand plans for how we would do it. But the news business is one of the toughest businesses in the world. Uh, very, very few investments have ever paid off, to be honest. It, from a venture capital standpoint, it hasn't actually done sure. well. It's a tough place to make money. Uh, you're going against incumbents and brands that are pretty well established. And it took us a long time to really get to product market fit, a long bloody time. Uh, I think
0: this this, coming at it from this perspective is really important because I think sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, news is meant to be, you know, truth with a capital T, very objective Mm -hmm. and all that. And if there's money involved, that's a bad thing there's no, for the most part, there are no nonprofit news sources. I mean, there are nonprofit news sources and you're not coming at it from the point of view of, let me start a nonprofit. That's one way you could do it, right? You could say, well, you know, we're gonna start a nonprofit. You said like, let's actually make a profitable business that can be scaled. um, Particularly because you already have a background in tech and that's the way you think about things. Um, But so, I really appreciate that you're you're looking at this from the point of view of saying, look, if people don't trust the news, right, or if all of it's the same in the sense that it's untrustworthy, you know, we're kind of without any kind of mooring, you know, there's nothing we can agree on uh, in terms of facts and things like that to have discussions. And, it, and, and it's just whatever I say, I just, you know it's equally as important as what you say because we can all back up whatever we want with whatever source we want. How did, what was, I know you said you went through iterations, but what was the thinking that, because it's a pretty bold goal to say, we're going to try and, we're going to try and make news trustworthy, or we're going to try and make people feel like what they're reading, they can trust or have some sense of it, right? Like whether they should trust it or not. What was the original thought? Like how, what's the product we're going to build?
1: So, I'll tell you a couple of uh, thesis that we had when we set out. The first was, there is great journalism today. It just is lost amidst a lot of crap journalism. So when Ajoa and I looked at it, we're like, look, we're not journalists. We don't write for a living and that's not our job. Our job is to find the great writing that's out there and separate the good from the bad, the wheat from the chaff, if you will. And so we saw it as a search problem, as a technology problem, Um, we've always found great news. It's just that it's exactly what you said. If you sort of got into the morass of crappy news and you just say, well, I read this, you read that, and who's to believe? Um, But there's some really great writing. And one of the things that we realized is, okay, not only do you want to find the great writing, but you have to accept that bias is inherent. Articles are written by humans. Humans have biases. That's okay. If the journalist is trying to be objective, trying to present facts, it's worth reading. But no single journalist and no single article has uh, a monopoly on the truth. So this idea that there's one publication that's the paragon of truth is bogus. Mm-hmm. Nobody, not the New York Times, not the Wall Street Journal, no, not even the factual, is the paragon of truth. What we are saying is you need to read multiple viewpoints, ideally across the political spectrum, to really understand what the angles are at a story. And if each of these angles is really well-researched, and pretty objective and not super opinionated, then between these, you're gonna get the facts and you can come to your own conclusions. So our high level thesis was, there's great journalism. You need to read multiple viewpoints across political spectrum. And we are not here to baby you and give you the the conclusion. We're here to give you the facts, you draw the conclusion. Our fundamental belief is that the public is by and large capable of reaching the right conclusions if they're given the facts and a quiet place to think. It is when they are not given all the facts or when they have to perform for an audience, which is social media, that Mm -hmm. we tend to do things that are, tend to reach the wrong conclusions. But most of us are pretty similar most of us are pretty rational. Give them all the facts, give them a quiet place. They'll usually come to the right place. Not everyone, maybe eight or nine out of 10, that's pretty good. So that's what we set out to do. So that was the first thesis is our thinking on the news business, where we find good news, what the audience wants. The second was the business model. And I think many people may not know that as late as 1990, half of Americans paid for the news. And most people don't remember this, but half households had a subscription. It wasn't very large because to uh, your earlier guest's point, subscriptions are somewhat subsidized by advertising. Right. And you wasn't trying to make it all from subscriptions. But the point is, half of all people willing to pay for the news. So our thesis from that is, we're not averse to paying for the news, but it needs to be affordable and needs to be valuable. Value my time, don't gouge me. So the four to $600 that you see at Wall Street Journal or the two to $400 you see at the New York Times, that's not viable for most people. It's just not, I don't care how good their publication, it's too much. We set out to build a product at a price point of $25 a year which is where we are. We're actually at 20 bucks a year until now. And that turns out to be kind of a no-brainer price. Mm-hmm. It's fair. It's affordable. We have people that use us that are unemployed. We have people that read us who are CEOs. We have pastors. We have ex-convicts. We have a very wide range of people that subscribe to our new service. And it's because it's valuable. It's very quick. We're expecting you to only read for maybe five or 10 minutes a day and you should be caught up on what's important. And it's cheap. It's five bucks a month or 25 bucks a year. It's not that much for nearly anyone. And I think if we do that, then we can get back to building a a society where half the people pay for a new service, feel good about it, don't feel like they're being gouged, have good facts, all the things that we said, uh, versus if we're all gonna try to be like the New York Times or the journal, I just don't think the, the market's very small.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think another point that you have made um, here and elsewhere is even if I want to pay $400, $600, whatever it is, and and I'll be honest, I did used to have um, a weekend subscription or a Sunday subscription to the New York Times because I love you know, and I know there are going to be people out there listening to this saying, oh, you can't believe you read the New York (laughs) Times, but even people I know on the right who are in journalism will say, you know, look, it's still a paper that has plenty of useful information and everything else. And I love the New York Times, but here's the thing. I would get in on Sundays, maybe by Wednesday, I got through the whole thing, right? Because I have other things going on in my life and it was huge, you know? And it it makes me sad because I wish, you know, um, I'm like you, I like reading and I I would love to have spent my whole day doing nothing but reading it because I felt like I learned things. I could use judgment about the opinions and everything else. But beyond that, even if I wanted to read everything that's out there, like I do have and and the people in our audience, you have other things going on in your life. And so you face this double problem of there's so much out there. You have so little time and now you have to find a way to filter it. That's right. So, and, and we've gotten far into this without my giving like an actual kind of quick description of what the factual (laughs) is you got to it. Right. But so I will, I will, I will be an advocate for it here. Um, I receive the factual daily. It's an email that I get and it has um, I'm looking at my copy from today. It's got trending topics at the top. Um, featured, underreported stories. These are just like little kind of things at the top where I can click down later. But then starting with the trending topics. So for today, the number one in the U.S. news that says there's 145 articles that you've got if I go over to the factual website, who will be affected by President Biden's COVID-19 vaccine mandate? So then, you know, there's a, a graph and then there's information drawn from different sources. It's clear who the sources are um, there's a little snippet and I can click on those things, but I can also go over to the Factuals website and see sort of a timeline of things. But the really important thing that I think makes it different than other kind of newsletters I get daily trying to show balanced news is that each one of those articles has a rating. It has a percentage rating of, of credibility. So talk about that. Cause this is now the tech piece of it too, right? Like That's you're right. both filtering, but you're also rating. How does that work?
1: Yeah. So Uh, We set out early on to say, you know, um, our thesis I said was, there's great writing out there. So we're like, well, what defines great writing? What makes for great writing? Talked to a lot of people. And most everyone said kind of the same four things. They said, well, I would love for it to have a lot of sources and evidence because isn't that what journalism is about? And then the second thing they said is, I don't want it to be really opinionated. I feel like everything's really opinionated now. I don't want opinionated. Um, The third thing they said, I'd like it to be written by someone who knows what the heck they're talking about, not some fly-by-night person in Macedonia or something like that. Give me a real journalist, some sort of topical expert. And then the fourth is, I'd like for it to be from a reputable source, like this source should have a history of publishing good quality news. And we took those four things and we turned it into code. And so every day, our algorithm rates tens of thousands of articles across hundreds of sites for those four things. It says... How well researched is an article? So it looks at links and quotes. Who do you link to? How many unique links? How many quotes? How long are they? All kinds of things like that. Then it does um, an opinion analysis. It looks at the words and says, how heavily loaded is this article? Or is it trying to incite or um, inflame you or inform you? And there's some really good algorithms that can help you determine that. We do things based
0: on language, is it? That's
1: right. Yeah. It's a language right, okay. analysis. Yeah. Natural Contra. language processing. Yeah, yeah. And what we do is we exclude quotations from it so that you okay. can still quote someone who's very emotional, but you, as a journalist, retain your objectivity because it's not you, it's the quote. Um, mm-hmm. We then look at an author's topical expertise. So we've been rating articles now for almost three years. We've rated about 10 million articles and we've rated about 50,000 journalists across those 10 million articles. So we built this database of who are these 50,000 journalists? What do they write about? And so for example, let's say you write on um, the Middle East all the time, and each time you write articles that are really well-researched and not opinionated, then -hmm. you start to build an expertise rating in our system that says, this journalist, when they write on the Middle East, they're really good about it. Versus if you write in the Middle East one day, the next day you write about sports, and the next day you write about weather and the hurricanes, then in our system we're like you're not really an expert in anything you're kind of all over the place um so you don't get an expertise rating that's the third bit and then the fourth is the site reputation score which is basically just the historical average score of every article we've ever rated for the site and it floats up and down and so what you find tying it back to your point about the new york times is sites at the new york times are good like Mm -hmm. they rate well in our system uh because we rate on an article basis though you'll see a range of scores Some articles are really opinionated and crappy and might rate like a 50%, which is give a, you know, one to hundred percent. But the New York Times, you know, tends to be in the 70, 75%, it's not bad. Sometimes you'll see some 80s. What was really surprising and very pleasantly surprising was that there are many, many smaller sources that rate higher in the 80s and 90s. And it makes sense if you think about what our algorithm is doing, is it's looking for very um, high degrees of expertise and high depth in articles. Mm -hmm. And of course, the more focused sites tend to do that well. So, for example, on war correspondence, there's a site called War on the Rocks. Many people might not know about it. It's formed by a bunch of former war correspondents. Their reporting is fantastic. I mean, in depth. Um, There's a site called Bellingcat, which is, you know, it's more investigative journalism, usually Mm -hmm. about war or something like that. So these two sites, if you were talking about something that happened in Syria, for example, or Afghanistan, those two sites are probably gonna give you a lot more depth and context than the Times a Journal or anyone else. And that's effectively what our algorithm does. So what we're saying is, look, we're not gonna go out and say one site is uniformly bad or good, Fox, whatever. There's a range of scores. Everyone has good articles. Everyone has some bad articles. But by topic, we're gonna get you the best. It could be from the Times. It could be from a small site. It could be from this journal. We'll find the best for you and give it to you. And then collectively, as you start to really read so many different sources, so many different journalists, you get a much more rounded view of the world. You stop thinking that everything is black and white. And it's so obvious that someone is an idiot or smart. Everything is complicated and hard. Yeah, That's the world we live in. And we're going to try to make it as easy as we can to give you a bunch of facts so you can find your conclusions.
0: I think I think there are so many great points in what you just said. One of those is this point about finding new sources. Um, one of the things I love is that as I can go through this relatively quickly at the beginning of the day, uh, I can see kind of headlines. I can see big topics. There are also topics that um, I love the you know high credibility underreported right. issues. Right. Like so, there'll be something about a topic that isn't getting a lot of attention, but here's a very highly credible article. And you'll say, you'll show from, you know, the left or the right or the center, right? Because you're already kind of giving a sense of, um, and there are other organizations that do that. We use all sides mm-hmm. um, media chart, but I know you've got you've got your own ways of looking at that, I'm sure. Uh, so there's that, but I find out about sources I never would have known about. I find out about stories I would never have known about. But this last point I think is so important. The idea that if we are hundred percent sure we're right about something or we know the truth about something, it doesn't take more than five minutes in the morning for me to look at this and say, there are different points of view on this. You're not telling me which one I should buy. You're telling me, here's how this fits into our understanding and our filtering. You go make up your own mind. But it does demonstrate that there is complication, that there is, you know, we had a guest on recently who said, I think nuance isn't dead, but it's on life support, right? <laughs> I think there's, that's true. And I think part of what we need in a world that has so much more information, so much more readily accessible to us is to improve our judgment, but also to recognize that things aren't just kind of black and white, right? So um it complicates your understanding of a subject, but we're better off for having that complication in a way, if we wanna make good decisions and we wanna have productive conversations about which way to go, I think.
1: That's right. I mean, fundamentally democracy works best when your population is well-versed in topics, when they're well-informed. And um, that's our job. We're not here to say who's right or wrong. We're not here to say vote this or that or endorse that. I couldn't care less. What I've what we're here to say is all of you are capable of making good decisions. Let's give you the facts. You guys will reach the right conclusion. And what's really interesting is, so one of the things that you've probably seen in our, in our daily newsletter and app is we have these daily discussions, mm-hmm. the polls. And so uh, we'll have a poll on whatever the issue of the day is. I think a couple of days ago, we did one on vaccination or we did one yep. on abortion, actually, Texas abortion law, probably the biggest one. What's fascinating is, you see quantitatively how our reader base is not consistently left or right leaning. Like on the Texas abortion law and do they support it? We had 67% say they did not support it. You read that and think, oh, you guys are clearly liberal. The next day we run something else. Um, I think it was on, uh, oh, we actually did one on should President Trump run again? It was like 84% said no, so it was, you know another liberal one. But then we did, um, gun control laws and should gun control laws be strengthened? And actually the majority said, no, we have enough laws. Our problem is that we don't enforce the laws that we have and laws tend to restrict uh, law abiding citizens a lot more than they do criminals. So I talked a lot about, you know, so um, pick your topic. And what we've found is that at least our readership which cuts across all 50 states, all demographics is decidedly purple and not red or blue. And I think that that's true. Uh, of the US. We yeah. all agree with a little bit of the left and a little bit of the right. We're not consistently hardcore liberal or conservative, but if you're on social media, you have to be one of those because that's the only way you get the likes and the clicks and the hearts and all that crap. And we don't have any of that on our site. Yeah. You can comment, you can vote, you can upvote, but you never see any counts of anything, no numbers uh, other than the vote counts so that you're not incented to behave in a way that's a performative way. Just vote on your own. Say what you want to say. That's it.
0: I'm glad, I'm glad you raised this feature because I think it's it's very important. So in the daily newsletter, there's not only that poll, but there's also the results of the day before, and there's sort right. of highly rated comments. And, and I'm not a big social media user in terms of putting information out on social media. Mostly I read it to, to learn things, but I, I cannot imagine, even though I know there are plenty of people who do this going on to Facebook and making comments about something political. Cause I just, to me, that, that seems like something that is bound and determined to end badly. Hmm. And, and in a way I don't really want to um, I do believe strongly that my views are going to change over time about things. So I don't necessarily want to document forever right. on a website. What I think, yeah. you know, um, but what I have found in taking those polls is because as you look at people's so it's not just a, a yes no or unsure voting also gives you a text box right to say why did you put this down as your answer That's right and it it really requires from my point of view thinking carefully about what i want to say because when i look at the things that other people are saying they're so it's not that they're like academic or highly sophisticated they're clearly thought out right yeah. they're people saying well I don't know that this is gonna help, but I think it's important that we do this, you know? And so it also forces, when you put your own comments there, you thinking about it, being honest, because it doesn't have my name next to it.
1: That's right, right? It's anonymous, just, everything's anonymous. Yeah,
0: yeah, everything's anonymous. And you would think when it's anonymous, people are gonna be a little unreasonable, but there's this sort of sense of a community of other people you know are reading this thing. They've selected into, they're paying for the, the newsletter. They've selected into it and there's no reason to you know be outrageous or whatever else it's honestly what you're thinking and then people as you say can kind of upvote or downvote like um what do you call it is it respected? respect
1: we call it respects yeah, yeah. yeah. so if you yeah. upvote, we call it you've respected a comment yeah
0: which is cool i think it's super <laughs> cool and um and then the next day you'll see that you'll see like top yes no unsure and i'm always i'm always learning from those thinking oh yeah, I might've said yes, but this person who says no, I understand why they said it, right? And I think that's, I mean, I think that's really cool. And again, I do think we need reminders that we don't have to be, we don't have to pick sides about everything. Or even if we do pick sides, we want to think about why we're doing what we're doing. And just having that daily reminder on different things. You know, some days I don't vote and some days I do, but every day I can see what other people are thinking about
1: it. Yeah, that thing has been, such a hit with our audience um, and for a couple of reasons. So like you said, you know, we the, the comments are anonymous because we think when we talk about politics and tough issues, we want people to be honest and you shouldn't yeah. worry about professional backlash or family backlash, get rid of that. So that was the first thing. But then the counter to it is with that comes great responsibility. And so we have this comment quality rating system behind the scenes. And so it looks for things that you know the comment can't be very inflammatory. It can't be an mm. attack. Um, it has to have a minimum length to indicate some thoughtfulness to it. Uh, and there's all kinds of things that are going on behind the scenes, but that's partly why you only tend to see thoughtful comments. If you leave a really rubbish comment, yeah, the system will scrub it. This is not about everyone can say whatever they want that's rubbish. You can say something controversial, but you can't be nasty about it. Mm. That doesn't serve any purpose. And you know a friend, uh, not a friend um A reader wrote us yesterday and he's like, you know, it's interesting um, reading the factual hasn't made me change my mind on a lot of things, but it has made me be more receptive to other viewpoints. And I think that's us in a nutshell. It's not that we have an idealistic point of view that, oh, you should all change your minds on this issue. No, keep whatever view you want, I don't care. But I don't want you to hate someone that has a different point of view. Because
0: mm-hmm. can have, just because they have a different yeah, point of view,
1: like you know, right. one of the most divisive issues is abortion. I mean, it's just so divisive. People are so hateful across that border. You yeah. read the comments in in the poll we ran, which again, majority said they wanted it. By the way, this comes on the heels of majority saying they want voter ID, which is a very you know right wing thing, or the majority saying they want the eviction moratorium to expire, very right wing. But then they also said yeah. we don't think this abortion law is fair, very left wing. So you read the comments, and what you see is that. People are really thoughtful about this issue and it's it's tough. They're weighing a difficult thing. They're trying to put themselves in the shoes of these people that are going through difficult things. There's some like low quality comments There's a lot of really good comments. And so the net effect I hope we walk away with is by all means, you want to be pro-life or pro-choice. That's fine. Just understand that the other side, they're not, they don't hate you. They really genuinely believe that this is important and that their view is really right and important. So argue but with a little civility. This is not a personal yeah. attack. This is something that people believe on principle. And that's that's good, that's what democracy is about. We're supposed to disagree. We're supposed yeah. to not all have the same viewpoints, but we can't be violent, we can't be nasty about it. That's not a democracy, that's a mob. We don't want that. Yeah.
0: Well, and it is one of the things when we talk to people who think about how to facilitate conversations between people who disagree or why we have trouble talking about some issues, over and over, we talk with people who say that we identify because somebody has a particular position on something, we flatten out everything else about that person. And we say, well, because I know this person is, let's let's take abortion as an example, because I know this person is um, pro-life or pro-choice. Therefore, I know this, 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 and this about That's the right. person. And I've made this kind of caricature. And I assume what you're doing is if we think about that as flattening out people's character to one thing or based on one thing, you're kind of expanding it again, right? Like you're, you're blowing up the, you know, the, the personality and characteristics and everything by saying it's more complicated than that. There are more things. And day to day we can look at these different polls and say, there isn't a consistent conservative or liberal position that most of these readers are taking, or even if they are taking it consistently, they may be giving reasons that you haven't thought about. Yeah. In right? fact,
1: a lot of times you'll see that the same person or the same reason is used to vote uh, in different ways. Someone will say I voted yes because and someone will say I voted no because and it's the exact same thing. Yeah. Which is so fascinating. It's like, wait, you're both saying the same thing. So I can understand yeah. how you reach different conclusions. And that's okay. You know, one of the biggest things we talk about where the media went wrong. Boy, uh, the presidency of Donald Trump exposed a lot of flaws in the media, actually. Um, and uh, what, I, what we try to do with the factual, one of our core principles is policy, not politics. We don't care about politics. Politics is bashing each other. We care about policy. What is the change? How is it going to affect the general population? And with President Trump, what we found is a lot of reporting was politics and mm-hmm. policy. It was easy to talk about what he said or did not say or how outrageous it was or what have you. And that distracted from policy. Ultimately, policy is what matters to Americans. We need to know how is this going to affect me. So let's talk about that. And if we, and when I say we, I mean the news media as an organization did that more consistently and talked about policy and understood the policy ramifications, It would have been less acrimonious the last four years. Truthfully, whatever you may think about President Trump, whether you voted for him or not, We didn't need that level of bellicose all the time. I just wanted to know what was he saying about policy? What were the good and bad points about it? What's the precedence? How does it compare to other countries or other places? Great, that's what I need. I'll make my conclusions. I don't need the the chatter about, oh, and could you believe he did like, how's that helpful? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. And so that's what I think uh, we definitely try to do and I hope more news organizations try to do because, uh, the policy decisions are very important that are constantly. Con- I mean, look at this vaccine mandate. It's a big deal. Yeah. It affects 140 million people. Just half the country is going to be affected by this. It's a really big deal. Okay, how did they get to this? Who's affected? Pros and cons. What are the exceptions or the out clauses? Have other countries done this? Where is it? You know, that's what we care. About. Do I care how they announced it and what happened at the press briefing? No, really, not. <laughs>
0: No, but if I'm only getting my news from those alerts on my phone, which are designed to get me to click on them, probably what I'm getting is, um, you know, something kind of sensationalistic, like, you know, um, something that may be accurate, but it's phrased in such a way that it's designed to get my ire up, right, to get me to click on it. Um, Yeah, no, I think that makes perfect sense. Is there... um, when you think about different stories, so for instance, in today's newsletter, I'm going to say on the bottom it always says how many different um, stories have been analyzed. That's
1: right. Which I
0: think is really cool. Um, you said in in five years you've done how many? Over ten million ten articles. Million? Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: Um, so I was going. To I it's like ten thousand odd articles. And typical day we analyze about ten thousand articles.
0: Okay. Which which I think is just fun to see because it changes day to day, not by a lot, but it's you know it's clear that it's not just you know, estimating that they're, Mm. that's actually in there. Are there, are there particular things? So in, in AI, I mean, I think a lot of people, we throw the phrase like, you know, AI around and it can, it can work two ways. People think, oh my God, it's terrible. The robots are coming to take our jobs, (laughs) you know? Um, and other people think, oh, it's going to solve all of our problems. And Mm -hmm. like most things, neither one of those is is true by itself. Um, Are there certain kinds of things that your um, algorithms and your work in grading and and looking at and analyzing articles have trouble with because of the subject matter?
1: Um, So uh, at a high level, the thing that we say about the grade is if you get a high grade, it means that we could verify a lot of elements of this article. It's probably highly credible and worth reading, it's informative. If you get a low grade, it doesn't mean that the article lacks merit. It just means that we couldn't automatically identify and verify a lot of things. You should still read it if you want to, maybe read it with a little bit of caution because you know your helper hand in the factual could not sort of tell you ahead of time that it was gonna be good. Yeah. Um, so it's more of a positive signal rather than a negative signal. That's the first thing. The second thing is uh, we, uh, the algorithm can never tell you what's true or false. It just can't. Uh, that requires human judgment. True and false is a very hard thing in the news. Boy, you need so much context. I mean, I don't even know how you could possibly build it. Um, so what we're trying to say is, look, let's find you a bunch of things that are good and factual and informative with different viewpoints. That gives you the basis. You decide what's true. It's not our point of view. Um, and then the parts that we run into difficulty with, there's some uh, sort of, Technical things. So interviews can sometimes be difficult because Mm. it's hard to tell what's a quote in an interview. Sometimes you know the block quotes, you can't always tell. Um, Journalists that write for multiple publications is a problem because a journalist is uniquely identified by their name and publication. So John Smith at The Guardian is different than John Smith at The New York Times. It could be the same person, but we couldn't tell. So your CV is unique to each publication. So if you're a freelance journalist, for example, we couldn't say, that you know, all your publications come together as one uh, record. We don't know that you're the same person. Um, some people write opinionated posts proudly. Uh, sure. You know Kara Swisher at the New York Times, very proud yeah. of her tech sort of writing. And a lot of people like it, but in our system we'll rate very low by definition. It's highly opinionated. It's not usually well sourced because that's not her writing style. Some people might take issue with that and say, your rating is lousy. And we'll say, like I said, a low rating, you could still read it. Doesn't mean it's not good. It's just not what we define as you know, very informative. So um, read with caution. So those are some of the limitations that we have. Other things, sure. you know, paywalls can sometimes stymie us uh, because uh, yeah. we have to yeah. index the articles. We can't always get them uh, foreign languages. Uh, we don't do anything other than English yet. We will at some point, don't do it yet. Yeah. Uh, so little things like that. And then I would say, you know. Uh, a lot of people talk about built-in biases in AI. We thought a mm-hmm. lot about this. Oh my goodness, Yeah. know? Yeah. So one of the things we have a little explainer video on our how it works page, but we were careful to not do the stupid things like group articles as good and bad and train mm-hmm. the system because it would just learn what we thought was good and bad. Right. You we know, right. were teaching it more foundational things like links and quotes and you know patterns on, on writing on topics versus these articles from the New York Times are the good ones, make sure you learn that, we don't do that. Um, the other thing that we uh, did when we were building this AI is we always said, uh, this is a complement to humans. It is not a replacement. So to your point, when you said, Jennifer, it's not, frankly, I don't even like using the word AI. The truth is mm-hmm. we're a machine learning algorithm. Mm-hmm. AI is just easier from a marketing standpoint, but it is not. You, know, you yeah. If you know the classic definition of AI, we are not. We're a machine learning algorithm. And um, what we are here- For
0: the audience, what's the difference
1: between those? Yeah, so machine learning algorithm basically has data and looks for patterns and data and then uh, modifies various um, equations, mathematical equations it has to match future predictions in that data, which is not that far from AI, but AI tends to be quite a bit more involved. There's like a feedback loop where it like makes a prediction. Oh, how far off was I? Oh, okay, I'm going to adjust it and come back. We don't have that kind of feedback loop, uh, at least not uh, not extensively. So I don't know. I think of AI as more like, oh, my God, it can drive a car by itself, and that's not us. Like, right. we're, we're doing some rating filtering stuff in a very transparent way, so you can always see the rating. We don't want the rating to be opaque. So you click 87%, you'll see exactly why it's 87%, um, and then you get to decide if you want to go with it or not. But I think we, when we built this whole thing, we always thought of it as complementary, not replacement to human judgment. It's supposed yeah. to improve your critical thinking. It's not supposed to substitute for your critical thinking. Um, and it doesn't assume to know the answer. It just, no. you know, defaults to you. When we did all those things, I think that's really what made this algorithm, this approach very different from uh, most other algorithms, which are usually either opaque or try to give mm. you the answer. And we're not yeah. trying to do either of those things.
0: No, I think that is really important that if somebody goes on the website, you even have um, sort of FAQs like that people may raise with you about, you know, hey, does it do this or does it do that? I think it's all transparent there. Uh, So I want to make sure we have talked about the value of looking at things this way. Um, Just anecdotally, I will also tell you that uh, one of my kids the other day in high school said, "Oh, I need a topic in the news in the last week. Can you tell me a topic in the news?" And I pointed up to the factual. But in the course of doing that, um, my daughter looked at it and said, "Oh, I want to read the ones that are 50 percent right, yeah, like." And in right. doing that, she could see very quickly why they had been rated. Low because of even the wording and the headlines and everything else. It wasn't that she looked at it and said, Oh yeah, I mean, this is obviously really credible and this is a bad rating. It was, it was seeing timelines of different articles, seeing different people's opinions on things and seeing the, you know, the credibility. I, I thought exactly that this is a great example for someone who is learning about critical thinking. There are just a pile of resources on one page to look at. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's really important. So people in our audience, I think, um, will hear all of this. And I hope find this as an appealing prospect. If somebody wants to check out the factual, but they're not bought in yet, right? and they say, well, yeah, $20 isn't that much, but it's still $20. I can go do mm-hmm. whatever else with it. Um, they can go to the website, and they can sign up. Give them your email. They could give you their regular email. They could give you, as my kids have burner emails now. Um, <laughs> And for two weeks, they can read it, right?
1: Yep, for free. Um, Mm -hmm. All you need is an email to sign up. Um, As you know, we try to ask as little information as possible. We don't even want to know your first name. Um, You know, it's that we want the news to be, this is not about getting to your personal life. This is not about selling you ads. We don't have any ads. We're completely ad-free. I want to know as little about you as necessary. (laughs) Um, It's a very different take on news. So just sign up with an email address. On the factual.com, you'll get a two week trial free for everything the website, the app, the newsletter, the works. Uh, and at the end, if you choose not to subscribe, it's five bucks a month or 25 bucks a year, you'll automatically move to your free plan. So mm-hmm. you won't be charged anything. You just automatically roll off into free. You'll get a reduced version of the newsletter and the site. You won't get the app. For some people, that's fine. Uh, hopefully, a lot of people do the paid version, but whatever. The point is, solve for the customer. And we really want people to see that there is a good place to get credible news affordably and easily. That's it, know that this resource is out there, hope you use it or share it.
0: Yeah, and we'll link in the show notes to that, certainly. Um, Tell me what's the future, what are the the next big plans? You talked about it's all English now, you're talking about different languages, but what other things um, are you really excited about down the road?
1: Yeah, so our vision was always that we had three things we wanted to build for the best news experience. The first was the best content, the best news, really thoughtful, useful journalism, well-reported, less opinion, we have that. The second was the best community. People like talking about the news. It's part of our social fabric of society. And there's no good place to talk about the news, certainly not Facebook. Heck, I won't even do it in our neighborhood you know, community. It's just like, it, it's a flame war. So now we've yeah. built this community place where you can have these thoughtful conversations with different points of view and it's not a flame. And then the third is um, the best experience. And right now the news reading experience isn't great. You encounter registrations and paywalls all the time, all over the place. And it's not not reasonable to ask people to have so many different registrations and paywalls. So what we will eventually do is start licensing the articles behind paywalls for the ones that are in our newsletter. So we've talked to a lot of the uh, news outlets, the big ones, and we've got terms from them. So we're just waiting until we have a larger user base and that would justify the licensing fees. But the idea is to have a very different offering. So we will never license all of the New York Times. That's not right. It. That's a right. different product. If, you're, if you love the Times, you're a loyalist to the Times, you should get the full-time subscription. That's great. But what if you just read the Times once in a while, along with 50 or 100 different other sources? Well, that's us. Come to us. You'll get the articles that we picked from the Times. It'll go through without the paywall once we license it, that's a beautiful experience. That's what we want for those people, different class of consumers. And what we hope is that ultimately we're all part of the same ecosystem. We're serving this different class of consumers. We're exposing them to great journalism, hundreds of sites. By all means, if you go into the Times or the Journal or anywhere else and fall in love with them, get their subscription, hooray, that's a good thing. But for us, we're not targeting the loyalists. Like that's a good, that's a different thing. We're targeting people that have almost checked out of news. They're so frustrated, they're so upset with the news we're trying to win them back and to say, no, no, actually there is great writing. Sometimes in places you know, a lot of times in places you don't know, let's get you back into reading good stuff and feeling informed about the world, confident about the world, not fearful about the world. Uh, and then good things will play out.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Arjun.
1: Oh, thank you very much. This has been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Jennifer. I hope you're found it so helpful.
0: As I mentioned during our conversation, we will link to The Factual in our show notes, and I hope that you will check out the website, read more about the work that Arjun and his colleagues are doing, and consider whether or not you would want to try out The Factual for uh, the two-week free trial. Our, our podcast episode was not meant to be an advertisement necessarily for The Factual, although it may uh, sound that way. In fact, the reason that we know about The Factual is because in a recent newsletter, we solicited from our audience uh, recommendations for resources that they were using to understand issues in the news. And one of our readers mentioned The Factual and uh, Arjun and I got in touch and we started talking and I was really impressed with the way he has approached this business but also his views about the news. And I think for me, what I will take away from this conversation and from my experience reading The Factual now for a few months as I've been researching uh, this episode, is that it really is important for us to have ways to filter information in a world where there is so much information. That's not likely to change. I mean, I don't think that the world is going to get less complicated moving forward as technology advances. The factual may not be the best way to do it. It's certainly not the only way to do it. But all of us need some way to filter information so that we can apply judgment to the information that we have. And I think while we may be concerned that technology and social media and all kinds of things are dividing us, it's really encouraging To see someone who thinks that technology can be used to sort of reverse that trend. So as in all things that we talk about on the podcast, I think one of the things that I will walk away from this conversation with is just a reminder to myself that things are always more complicated than they seem, and that's not going to change. And if that's the case, I need to find a way to deal with it and to still have credible information. I hope you enjoyed the conversation, and if you did, I hope that you will please take a moment to rate and review the podcast wherever you receive it. If you do that, it is more likely that other people will find out about it, and that way they can join the conversation as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse
1: and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.